other's gang. Two sisters, both curious and strange. I like a duo and they witty from the brain. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and Jay. It's a beautiful day for another episode of the magic hour. Wouldn't you agree, boys and babes? I'm Mercedes Terrell, and with me, my majestic partner in shine, Jade Bryce. What's up, soul sister? Hey, Mercedes. And hello, magic mob. I uh, wanted to bring up that I'm actually still emotional from reading the recent flurry of reviews you guys have sent in. Just wanted to thank you all again that have shown us love in this way. It really means the world to us and confirms that y'all are finding value here. So thank you so much. We wanted to share this one from Lisette95. She says... I love this podcast. I've recommended it to people who thrive on self-discovery and have a passion for self-growth. It's refreshing and an awesome way to get through the hump of the week. Plus, their magic tricks towards the end are always interesting and worth trying out. One warning, your book collection will grow, so be ready. Keep rocking, girls. Be a light. Magic mob for life. We love that. Yeah. Thanks for those kind words, Lizette. Um, I just want to say I love how something as simple as a, you know, positive podcast review can have such a huge effect on two people like you and I, Jade, can literally turn my whole day around. So if you're listening and you feel like being sweet and generous today, maybe just send someone a good review or let them know, you know, that that they're doing a really good job at their job. And of course... We'd love it if you send us a review here on the podcast app, too. But truly, it's just so cool how simple it is and how simple it can be to spread a little bit of sunshine on someone's day like that. So great little tool for adding some love in your day. Yeah, these reviews have me smiling. Honestly, every time we get a new one, it just brightens my day. So grateful for you guys. Um, Obviously, my love language is words of affirmation. (laughs) So on with the show. Today, we're having on Lynn Worley. He's the dream master. He holds several different workshops about how to combine science with mythology, deep psychology, and meditative and spiritual practices in order to understand what is at work in our dreams and as a result, cooperate with the evolutionary function of dreaming. It's wild stuff, man. I am so into this idea of being able to open yourself to the wisdom and the messages um, my dreams are trying to relay to me. Also, I have some really... Wicked vivid dreams, which I've explained on some previous podcasts, mm-hmm. I think, with Eric Gotzi. So I'm thinking I've got a lot to work with when it comes to, um, you know, going through the dreams of the uh, wisdom of my dreams there. Okay, so let's introduce today's guest. He is a dream studies researcher and writer who has held a PhD in counseling psychology for over 37 years and also works as a certified rolfing body worker and health consultant in Austin, Texas. He holds numerous workshops and seminars on topics and techniques varying from the use of dreams for psychological and spiritual guidance to the power of meditation for potentiating creativity and health. Additionally, through his psychological orientation rooted in the depth psychology of Carl Jung and through his passion for functional nutrition and medicine, this man not only talks the talk, but he also walks the walk when it comes to mind, body, spirit connection, combining all three of these facets into his integrative therapies. Boys and babes, please open your minds, hearts and ears to Dr. Len Worley. Yay. Yay! Hi, Lynn. <laughs> wow, I I want to meet this guy. 
<laughs> Most people say that about themselves after our intro. <laughs> That's all you, man. That's all you. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been so long. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Len, your your work is quite extensive, as I just mentioned, and covers so many, you know, interesting and unconventional areas. And I know we're only going to be able to cover so much of it today. So maybe a good place to start with you would be by diving into the world of dreams. Um, and perhaps maybe you can first fill us in on how our current culture is misperceiving dreams and misleading us from um, the potential wisdom and intuition that can come with our dreams? Uh, that's a good setup. Well, currently, we're quite fascinated with dreams. I, I don't think this is new. I think it's an ancient fascination. However, most people view their dreams as entertainment. And they, if they do speak of their dreams, they speak of them in such a fashion, like, you won't believe what I dreamed last night. Mm. Um, that's if people even take the time to linger in bed long enough to remember a dream. So primarily it's entertainment. Um, for people who take their dreams more seriously, I I think there is a most common error of taking the dreams literally so that if um, you dream about your, your boss at work, then you presume that the dream might be showing you something about your boss. Mm -hmm. um, it's what I would call externalization or literalization, and we're very caught in that. The other way, of course, which is more out of depth psychology and uh, more ancient spiritual traditions, is to see the dream as symbolic, as a metaphor. And I even um, have another way of understanding the dream, which is to see it as uh, a simulator, much like how uh, pilots or astronauts are trained prior to going into actual flight, they're in uh, something uh, that has the same cockpit and they're presented with many different scenarios that are intended to show them where their blind sides are, where they're not skillful enough, where they're lacking knowledge. And um, the simulation is designed to find out where the pilot is weak. Mm. And I think that's probably what dreams are, are doing for us as well. If we can um, use it to see how it is we're not masterful in our dreams. Mm. So if we're, for instance, overly aggressive, or we tend to be shy and afraid, passive or run away, then we can see what intimidates us, and that will give us a chance to, in a sense, replay the dream in a waking state and choose a different way of acting. Mm -hmm. So this latter approach, you might say, of dream as a simulation, is um, takes the dream not as entertainment, even though it is quite right. entertaining at times, but as something very serious that's happening in the personality that's intended by nature 
to make us more adaptive, um, you know, which is the pur purpose of evolution. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's mm. so important. I think um, that, yeah, I mean, I've spent the most of my, I've had very vivid dreams throughout my life. And I feel like I always just, like you're saying, relate them to, oh, I dreamed about, you know, whatever it is, um, cheating on my boyfriend, I must be, you know, uninterested in him anymore. Or I don't know what, whatever the things are. I don't, I never looked too deep into it, but having, you know, looked at some of your work and listened to a lot of what you've had to say, uh, previously, I'm really interested to, to dive deeper into what's really going on in my head and pulling that stuff out. Yeah. Well, this, this is a huge area, I think, of misunderstanding when it comes to dreams. Uh, when it has to do with se sexual attraction in, in dreams. Mm. We, we generally consider at, in the culture at large that it's wish fulfillment. This comes out of uh, Sigmund Freud's idea of why we have dreams. It's to release um, tension um, from the day that could not be acted out. And so mm. that has to do primarily with sexual desire and anger. Mm -hmm. mm. um, so Freud saw that that was the, the purpose of dreaming is essentially to let off steam. Uh, but there, there, mm, there are a lot of problems with this theory, and most people, um, particularly in, in the tradition of Carl Jung, mm -hmm. J-U-N-G, see that that's a very redu reductionistic and narrow understanding of what's happening in dreams. And <clears throat> for instance, you can see sexual desire as um, a way of merging, which is what happens in sexual desire. There's the two become one, so to speak. And one way to understand sexual desire and dream is that we're attempting to merge with some needed quality in another person. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So this, I think, explains why we can dream of celebrities or people we, we don't even know, mm -hmm. and there can be a strong sexual component, mm -hmm. and I see it as kind of merging with something essential in that person's personality that would be good for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So someone very shy, let's say a woman withdrawn might dream of, oh, who could it be? Tom Cruise, you see, mm -hmm. who's very outgoing and in a sense has the archetype of the hero. That's a quality that would round such a person out, the dreamer out. You see, if they could bring more of that Tom Cruise capacity into their own personality, they mm. would be much more equipped to face life. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. The fear and truth dialogues. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've also heard you mention some interesting stuff about the neuroscience of sleep and dreaming. So would you bring us up to date on the science of how this plays into our physical and mental well-being? Well, <clears throat> There are two things currently that we are deprived of that is having a huge impact on our health. Two things during sleep. One is deep sleep, 
which is happens generally in the first four hours of an yeah. eight-hour night. I don't get much of it. Yeah, deep sleep is the sometimes it's called slow wave uh, mm -hmm. sleep because your brain waves are actually at their slowest, mm. and it's the most restorative time. It's mm. when immune functions come on strong. It's when the brain is cleared of toxicity. For instance, during the deepest phase of sleep, the spinal fluids actually come up and wash the brain in between the neurons and help remove uh, an enzyme um, that if not removed, turns into plaque, which is associated with Alzheimer's mm. disease. Wow. You know? So it's very important that we sleep mm -hmm. for immune function and for brain health as well. Now, in the second half of night, if, if you're getting eight hours of sleep, so the last four hours is when we usually start dreaming. Mm -hmm. And most people, are, if they're getting a full night's sleep, are dreaming about a total of two hours every night, whether or not you remember your dreams, unless they're being suppressed by alcohol. Um, to some extent, mar marijuana can s suppress REM, the rapid eye movement period. Yeah, And if we don't dream enough, we know, for instance, in learning a language, that if you don't dream enough, you will not learn that language as quickly as someone else who is dreaming. Yeah. So dreaming makes us smarter. It gives us greater uh, creativity to solve problems the next day. And it helps us retain information that we've learned the previous day. Mm. Yeah. I love this info. It also, yeah. it also helps regulate anxiety and depression. Mm, that's huge. Yeah. I struggle so, with both. Yeah, so. We're currently uh, dream-deprived in our culture because most people are sleeping, about, well, about six and a half an hour, six and yeah. a half hours rather than eight. And so they're cutting off an hour and a half of dream time, mm. you see, compared to, let's say, 70... Uh, 80, 90 years ago when we were uh, sleeping an hour and a half more. Yeah. Is mm. that due to uh, light eventually, uh, like the actual light bulb and being able to see at nighttime and lighting, you know, not having a pure darkness the way that we would if it was hundreds of years ago? Well, the answer, yeah. And not only the light bulb, certainly, but it's also for us now blue light emanating mm -hmm. from computer screens um, because this lowers the output of melatonin, mm -hmm. a hormone that um, kicks in when there's darkness and helps us sleep. The more blue light uh, coming in, especially the closer you get to sleep, it's interrupting the circadian cycle, mm. and it's essentially telling the body that you need to stay awake because it's still daylight and the sun is outside, you see. Yeah. So even substances like caffeine, is that, I mean, you know, we talked about marijuana a little bit um, being disrupting the dream cycle or may, and certainly alcohol doing that. Is Caffeine, um, what kind of effect does it have on the dream cycle and on sleep in general? 
I mean, obviously, well, it's not a, easy to sleep while of you're course, on. Of course, a huge, yeah, a, a huge disruptor. And the rule of thumb, I mean, I love coffee and black tea and mm-hmm. green tea. Me but too. I, yeah, I, I, you need about seven hours to clear it out of your system. That's okay. what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I so don't let myself have it after noon. Yeah. If, 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 if Let's say at three you're you're doing more caffeine just so mm-hmm. that you can finish your day. Well, you're setting yourself mm-hmm. up for yeah issues yeah. and so many. Mm-hmm. And is there uh, like a storing of that dream energy uh, when you do when you're drinking alcohol on a daily basis or using um, marijuana or some other thing to fall asleep? Do you because because well, Jade always you know I've heard from other people as well and Jade talks about how you have this like all these vivid dreams that come up that she might not have had these vivid dreams before she was smoking mm-hmm. you know before she was had a time while she was smoking um, but now that she's off of it for a stint mm-hmm. of time they all come full force yeah yeah it's it's actually called dream rebound mm. and mm. you know when this happens the most is when people have. Um, had um, alcoholism, mm-hmm. and they finally stop uh, drinking. And it's and unless they're medicated, they get something called DTs or delirium mm. tremors, mm. and they actually begin to hallucinate. Wow! And and people used to think, oh, that's just a result of not having yeah. uh, the withdrawal. alcohol. But what it appears to be is that it's the the necessity to catch up on the dreaming and it's wow. so strong that people are even dreaming while awake but yeah. they call them hallucinations like your subconscious yeah. is like deal with all yeah. this i've been suppressed that's true yeah so yeah. when i'm going into a dream that's um for instance i had this really uh, moving dream that has stuck with me, which a lot of dreams don't, you know, they come and go. We have a mini amnesia, it seems, when we wake up from a dream. But um, I dreamt that I was in this really like a storm, like a turbulent storm. I was somewhere in like a forested area or something so that all the debris from the trees and stuff was, you know, physically hitting me and stuff. I was running through the storm trying to get out of the storm and I duck into this cave and in the cave, I find my grandparents are in there. There's like a couch. I mean, it's very luxe and and calm and nice and super serene in this cave, like a safe haven, right? And my grandparents, who were deceased uh, at the time I had this dream, and uh, I I go in there and I'm like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing in here? Like, oh, like what are you doing here? You know, like we're, this is where we <laughs> hang out or this is our place. And and I so I thought to myself. Oh, and I I knew in my dream, okay, well, my grandparents are deceased, so I know that I'm somewhere not on earth, you know, anymore. And uh, even though I'm having this really earthly experience, but it comes to me, okay, I'm having this experience. I'm with my grandparents. I'm hanging out with them for a minute. I'm, and it's very peaceful, like I said, like the serenity came over me from the storm I had just come out of. And so then I go... You know, I sit there with them for a minute, conversating or whatever it is. And then I, I have the idea, like, I got to go check out where I'm at if this isn't where I thought I was. You know, I, this isn't my normal reality. And I walk outside of the cave. And as I walk out, I notice the storm is calm. So I walk above 
kind of like I'm looking into a mountain sliced in half. I can see the cave there. I can see the forest there. And I walk up on top of this mountain and uh, there's like a beautiful scenic lake. With, it's Everything's like pristine and calm with the little, you know, sparkles on everything. And everything was really gorgeous. And I, I started crying. I was in tears with... Uh, just like this elation that this was heaven, you know, this was like what ever as a child or whatever it is you would envision is this perfect place. You know, this place is just so peaceful and calm and that's what's there after the storm. And I woke up crying after that and I was more good to know where my grandparents were type of thing. You know, this is, I was a lot younger when this happened, but I don't know. Can we look into that a little bit? Sure. So if you consider the dream as a, purposeful simulation. It's putting you in a situation to help you develop some quality or to reassure you of some truth. You might ask, what is the purpose mm -hmm. of this experience that you've had? It, it, it was a real experience, even though not in the dimension that we normally live. And something really happened to you. You had an encounter with these ancestors, mm -hmm. with people that I'm assuming were positive for you. And it mm -hmm. um, reiterated the, the importance of their presence, meaning their attitude, the, what they stood for in life, what they believed in, um, mm -hmm. the nature Definitely. of their personalities. The whole of them was very consoling for you. Yeah. So I would ask, why was that important mm. at the time of your life that you had this dream? And I, I probably answer that by saying, first of all, they died within nine months of each other. Um, and I lived, you know, I lived with them for a big period of my life. Uh, it wasn't then while I was living with them that they, they passed away, but they're a very important part of my life. They were probably what I would say held um, the larger part of that side of my family, my mom's side of the family together. You know, once they passed, we stopped all doing Christmases in the same place. And it so the family unit became, you know, not separated, but maybe just dispersed more. And because I come from a divorced family, maybe there's something in there where I already have this like uh, fear of that type of separation or abandonment issue or whatever it is that um, I don't want to see that type of separation happening. That's what I'm getting to. And what is the essence of that togetherness that might be important? What What is good about that togetherness? Not being alone. I think that's a, you know, one of, I'm sure everyone's biggest fears, but definitely one of my biggest fears and, and other dreams that I've had several times throughout my life is where I'm actually at my grandparents' house again standing uh, amongst relatives like we would do when we would have family gatherings there. And there's this um, light that's shining on this group of us that are standing there, but otherwise it's dark around. It's actually this like bug zapper light that they used to have out in the front patio. We're all standing there and we're illuminated by this light and we're all conversating or whatever's happening. But little by little, each person is fading into the darkness and one by one they go. And every time I blink, someone else is missing. And I'm, I know what's coming is that I'm going to have, to, I'm going to be there alone. I'm going to have to face this darkness. And eventually I do. And then I have to, I'm standing there in this light and I have to decide, you know, my, what to do. And I turn and I walk into the darkness. So I think it's a similar mm -hmm. 
correlation there where it's like uh, togetherness symbolizes not being alone or not having to face things alone, maybe. Yeah. And what would happen to you if you breathe the essence of their union of being together? If you breathed it into you and took it into your personality, how might that help you to have their wisdom in knowing how to be together and how to stay together? Mm. How might that be helpful to your, your personality? If you, through your breath, could breathe that wisdom into you, do you follow what I'm asking? Yeah, I think I, I definitely, it's something I definitely need um, to almost feel safer in relying on my relationships with other people or re just relying on people to show up in general. To know that it's possible. I mean, they're showing you what's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's easy to get jaded and to uh, think, oh, well, I'm not just made. I'll never find someone to be a partner, a companion in life, and to give up on that dream. But you, in a very tumultuous experience, like in the dream, mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy stormy. And you find your way to the antidote, which has to do with seeing this beautiful unity, togetherness, companionship of grandfather, grandmother. Yeah? And what a model for you. It would be easy to lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. Is it, do you think that it's true that the others in our dreams are representing ourselves? I think they're representing potentials. Yeah, this is a potential that um, is dreamed. The possibility of union, of companionship that endures. And uh, it would be easy to lose sight of that. So I think what you're asking also is when, when you dream of someone, is it about them or is it about you? Right. Mm -hmm. Is that the question? Yeah. So it's interesting we're interviewing you right now because I have a plant medicine ceremony Saturday. So I'm abstaining from any other sort of medicine. Um, uh, I usually use um, uh, to fall asleep uh, plant medicine as well. So, uh, you know, when you abstain from that, your dreams kind of go crazy. Um, so it's interesting that we're doing this interview now. But most of my dreams, could, could, when could I do I have them. Sorry. Back and say something. Could I back up and say something? Uh -huh. Is when you abstain from taking your nightly uh, smoke, mm -hmm. you notice you start dreaming more. Yes, big time. Yeah, and that's probably because smoking suppresses REM, the mm -hmm. dreaming process. And when you're finally free biochemically, to dream, there's this pressure to catch up with the dreaming because mm -hmm. it's so essential to creativity and memory mm -hmm. consolidation and so on. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to not 
use it anymore. Um, and I do use my dreams as tools, but it's interesting when I do dream, it's often about others trying to hurt me. And uh-huh. I was, I was wondering if that's because they're representing me and I'm maybe hurting myself. And like my, I often dream with all boyfriends I've ever had that they're cheating on me. And my current partner, when I had told him that once he said, well, maybe you're cheating yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe everyone in my dream is just representing me. Well, yes, but I would want to, to let's say this is a, a flight simulation. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jay. So you have, you, you want to be, you want to get the details. Mm-hmm. And so one of the guiding principles I use is stay with the image. So let's stay with the image of one of these dreams and Ask the boyfriend, why are you cheating on me? What's the reason? Mm. Like, I, I um, actually have a, a story to publish about this. Um, a man that I worked with for years who began to dream that his wife was cheating on him. And it pulled the rug out from under him. It brought him to his knees because mm. he and he would go to her and say, look, I think my dream is giving me a warning. And she would say, and I knew her to be telling the truth, I have no interest in having an affair. The one of your dream is not me. Mm. It's about something else. And he eventually came to ask the question of this woman, his wife, in the dream, why are you leaving me? And if <clears throat> once you learn uh, what is called active imagination, you can pose these questions to dream figures mm. once awake and wait for impressions to be informed mm-hmm. with the answer. And she said, when he did that, she said, I'm leaving you because I am so sick of your hypermasculinity. Hmm. And you're always in control. You're very competitive. And I can't get close to you that way. Now, wow. this is what his imagination gave him mm-hmm. as the reason for his dream life leaving him. And it cut him to the truth like nothing else. And um, this went on for about six months. And gradually he was able to absorb the truth and, and, and see how his early be- beginning had made him overly competitive. It had paid off in making a lot of money, but it had made him very one-sided. And his soulful mm. partner in the picture of his wife was complaining and demanding a change. Mm. So I'm... <clears throat> So I think the answer is is as different and unique as there are yeah. personalities. I mm-hmm. would say to you is to ask him, why are you cheating on me? And I let like let him talk to you about how you are that makes him want to cheat on you. So in the dream, ask why are you cheating on me, yeah. essentially. Well, if you're lucky enough to lucid dream and do that, but mm-hmm. probably you're not going to be able to. 
But you can do it once you're awake. You can do it, yeah. for instance, riding. I dream while say, I meditate. Often. Well, there you go. But mm -hmm. another way to do it is on your laptop. Mm. And you pose the questions in, in lowercase. Why are you cheating on me? What, what are you not? What's the reason? And then you push all caps and let your imagination speak for him. Yeah, that's interesting. That's actually how I journal. I write a question at the top and then I just mm. yeah. let whatever comes out come out. That's cool. I didn't think of this mm. as a... Then you get a conversation going back and forth mm -hmm. between you and your ego identity and with another potential in you, mm -hmm. you see. And that is rich. You, yeah. you, you can discover much more than what was even in the dream. I am... I have, like I mentioned, I have dreams while I meditate and there's a recurring dream I've been having for half my life now during meditation, not sleep, where there's a really peaceful river with some really smooth, large stones that I can walk across to the other side. I'm always barefoot and in a really pretty white lace dress. The stones are really cold and I step on them and sometimes... It's graceful, and sometimes I slip into the water and hurt myself but get back up. Well, when I get to the other side, it's just so beautiful, and there's a lion, like a very majestic lion, beautiful mane, sitting over there, and I go sit and cuddle with him and sleep on him, and I'm safe. And there was no danger on the other side, but there's this place of like, oh, this is, this is where I belong. This lion is my master, my keeper, my protector. I don't know. And I've always associated it with maybe this is the Lord. Maybe this is God, my version of God. But what's interesting, I've had this my entire life, whether I'm singing, meditating, um, trying, whatever meditative state I get into, this vision comes. And um, it's been really helpful in dark times when it comes. But my um, kind of weird question here is that my son, who's three, has a lot of nightmares. And I think he has a little bit of anxiety possibly, but he has a lot of nightmares and his nightmares always involve lions um, trying to get him. Uh -huh. And he's never had an, ex he's never seen a scary lion on TV. He's never been around lions, but he has dreams that lions are trying to get him. And either me and his dad are not home to protect him, or he's only safe if he gets his head on our chest, but there's always like a lion trying to get him. Well, so a lion has great potential, yeah, as you mm -hmm. have found out in your spontaneous meditations. You're, you're safe because of its capacity to protect. Mm -hmm. After all, it is known as king of the jungle, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's big, it's ferocious, it's courageous, and... Those qualities, when we are aligned with them within our personality, you know, give us the feeling of, of safety. Mm. One thing you can do, remember I talked about how you can have a dialogue after the dream? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a good thing to do, especially with children, is to say, do you know, it's possible to make friends with this mm. lion. But let's talk about how you do this. First of all, you have to become very calm. 
Mm. And one way to get calm is to breathe calmly. Take a nice breath mm. that makes you fill up and then just slowly let it go. And you coach him on how to breathe, which mm -hmm. you may have already done. Mm -hmm. And then you could ask him to turn around now that he's out of the dream and speak to the lion. Mm -hmm. And what would he want to say to the lion? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this. You see, yeah. now you're getting a conversation going. And mm -hmm. then you, you, you go from there. What, what do you think he might say, for instance? Probably he would tell him to go away or um, to not eat him, you know, because he's only three. So I'm guessing that that would maybe. Okay. And you could say to your son, and what does that lion say to you mm. back? What does he want to say to you? Maybe. Yeah. I love that. That's a great practice for a, a toddler. A little living journal. Okay. Yeah. This this is imaginal dialogue. Mm. So already, if you're getting him to talk with the thing that he most fears, yeah. something big has happened. There's already mm -hmm. a, a change. Yeah. And 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 you can you can educate him. So you can talk with that lion. You can ask him for what you would like for him to do. And he may not go away. You know, you're assuming that he's trying to kill you. But what if he's trying to catch up with you to help you? Mm, yeah. I, I haven't is, shared with him my my vision either. So maybe that would help. Oh, wow. Yeah. We often assume in dreams, children and adults, that the thing that is chasing us means to harm us. But it very often, especially if it's a potential that we're unacquainted with, mm -hmm. that our personality isn't big enough yet to handle, we assume that it's meaning us harm. But some of my biggest dreams have, have been realizing that what I thought was trying to hurt me was trying to help me. Mm. Do you think that dreams in a sequential order start out I don't know if there's anything to this I'm just throwing this out there <laughs> but do they perhaps start out more um calm at first and then as you don't address whatever the situation is or whatever the issue is that you needed that is subconsciously um yourself trying to tell you you need to address it they grow stronger and stronger and into nightmares I would say yes to that, but they can start out really uh, frightening as well and then gradually come down as you integrate them. Mm. For instance, I remember many, many years ago waking up from a dream that was nightmarish for me. In the dream, I was in my bed asleep and in my bedroom. And I hear the window open, mm. and while in the dream, I look over and see this African bushman dressed in loincloth and a spear mm. come in, crawling through the window. And of course, I'm as frightened as can be. I just happen to have 
a shotgun that I had in childhood with me in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I shoot the man, and he falls to the floor. Oh, God. But another one crawls in right after him, mm. and I shoot him. But a third one crawls in, dressed the same way, with a spear, from the primal um, jungle bushland of Africa. Mm -hmm. I shoot him, and a fourth one comes, and that's when I wake up in a panic. And I say to myself, there will be no end to them. Mm. Now, what did that dream mean? Mm -hmm. Of course, it was an early sign of a lost masculinity, a masculinity mm. that wasn't allowed to develop in me that trusted primal instincts that could defend himself if needed. I grew up to be a very good fundamentalist Sunday school boy mm. that was very obedient mm. and, try, and tr tried to win love by being well-behaved. But in the process, I didn't develop this needed masculinity. And this was still true at age 40 when I, was, when I had that dream, mm -hmm. you see. It took me years to integrate that masculinity and it took a lot of dreams to do it. And in the early days, I was always running from this type of man. So things that frighten us often come to help us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of our fears are trying to teach us something. Yeah. Yeah. And we react to fear more than we do to things that aren't scary, you know. So it, it reminds me now of this dream of your son. I wonder if he could practice being more like a lion. Mm. What mm. that would do mm. for him to learn how to roar or growl mm. when he's bothered about something. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I love struggle that. with masculinity. That is interesting. And Soul, her son, is very like tender and sweet and definitely, mm. you know, isn't the little boy just beating up others? Yeah. No, he's emotional. Yeah. yeah. That's so Yeah, but he need, he's he's in need of some claws. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> wow. All right. So now that we know we have this direct access to this newly found magical superpower, thanks to you, Len. Um, mm -hmm. How do we begin to, and I know you've already explained a lot of how to do this, but um, maybe you can give us some finite guidelines here of how to decipher our dreams and, and um, make use of the truths and insights we find in them? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is, of course, remembering your dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to linger in bed mm. to remember your dream. You can't jump into the activities of your day, which are all external, and expect to remember much of your dream life. So staying in bed, hopefully not having to wake up to an alarm clock, mm. because hopefully you've had enough sleep and can wake up naturally. And then when you do, to take a minute or two, see what emotions you have, and then ask the question, oh, I wonder what I've been dreaming that resulted in me having this feeling when I woke up. Mm. And then, if you get any images, you have to rehearse it there before you get up. 
to pee mm. or make coffee, you have to have it in your memory. It has to be rehearsed, and then it needs to be written down. Yeah? Mm. Secondly, Magic trick. Yeah. Secondly, I... Mm, this is complex, so I'm going to have to make it simple here. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say the most helpful model for me of what dreaming is, is to consider the dream as like a flight simulator. And I would ask, why was I put in this situation? Mm. What is there for me to learn? Yeah. Is there a, is there a certain meditative practice um, that you use in order to tune into your own subconscious? Yeah, there is. I, let me go back. When I started meditating several decades ago, in retrospect, I used it as escape from my problems. Hmm. Huh. I didn't realize this at the time. Um, but later, I, I began to notice that when I came back from meditation, a meditative state, I was almost numbed. And I think actually it was, I was disassociated somewhat. Hmm. And I would go into this uh, blissful state, but um, I don't think it was very useful. And, but I thought of meditation as being primarily that. It's a yeah. way to get away from my stress. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often how meditation is taught and done. It's a way to, it's a stress reliever. Today, I do almost the opposite. Oh. When I, when I start meditation, I first start with a calming breath, but only so that my mind is clearer to observe how I'm feeling in my body. Mm. And I want to see if I feel tension anywhere. And then I want to understand what is this tension about in my body? What emotion is it related to? Yeah? So if there's anxiety, if I'm anxious about something, I want to know what the danger is, mm. what my mm. instincts are trying to alert me to. Yeah? If I feel heavy and tired and it's like depressiveness, I want to know what are the situations of my life that are depressing, that are in need of attention. If I feel ashamed, I want to know what is it that I may have done that I need to be sobered about and maybe even make an apology mm -hmm. to, or how is it that I've not been true to myself? That's the purpose of shame, for instance. We usually think of it in our culture as the foundation of low self-esteem, but in terms of evolution, we've evolved the capacity to feel ashamed so that it keeps us humble and in relationship with others and stops us from being exploited. Mm -hmm. Each of these difficult emotions, for instance, like anger, serves the purpose of helping us be adaptive. Anger mm -hmm. alerts us to some unfairness. 
Yeah? yeah. So if when I go into a meditation and I find that I'm irritable, I want to listen in and ask, okay, I'm angry about what unfair situation in my life, you see. Mm -hmm. And I want to use that anger to help me listen and to see, oh, Lynn, you need to advocate for yourself better here. You need to go back and speak up about this situation where you uh, allowed yourself to be taken advantage of mm -hmm. or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I listen to see what's disturbing, first of all. Mm. I want to know that rather than transcend above them and get away from them. Because in doing so, we miss a huge source of guidance. You just turned meditation into a serious work day, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same yeah. time, I think that makes a ton of sense that yeah. you can't really rise above any of the crud if you don't get through the crud first, right? You have to, you have to do the work. Yeah. I didn't think of it as an escape. That's true. You know, it's so funny. I'm making a connection now that whenever I get a massage, that 90 minutes or whatever time I'm laying there is when some of my most like extraordinary ideas come up you know some of the things that i connect the yeah. dots on is that's when it's happening and i'm wondering too i i always attributed that to it's you're kind of in a meditative state you're calmed down you're kind of like you know slowed down and calm enough to see and hear your thoughts and to to go through some of that stuff that you have been putting aside but also maybe because they're physically whoever's massaging you is physically triggering parts of your body that are holding tension it's like a mm. a physical reminder almost of like why am i holding so much like why is that so sore and why am i holding tension yeah. there and then triggering this conscious thought of you know, oh, well, that's because I've been, you know, stressed out about this thing and out of the other. And I need to go into that and really think more about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you get you you get a useful insight about things when you get a massage. Yeah. Definitely. OK. I've got to tell you a dream I had. OK. <laughs> it was last week. And in the dream. I was walking into a school and I knew that it would be my task to teach meditation mm. to elementary age school children. Mm. Yeah. And I knew that the challenge was, is how do I explain this in a way that will be relevant and intriguing to mm -hmm. them? Mm -hmm. And then it came to me, oh, here's how you tell them. And these are the words. If you get quiet inside, and I mean really quiet inside, and you wait long enough, there is an intelligence deeper and stronger and smarter than you hmm. that will come online inside hmm. your mind and begin to solve problems for you. Superpowers. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. So, but that's like, you're not going to get there doing a five, probably not going to get there doing a five or a 10 minute quick app meditation. Mm -hmm. That's only getting you maybe inside the front door. Once mm -hmm. you go for 15, 20, 30 yeah. minutes, 
that's when this other deeper intelligence, which yeah. is what I think is happening on a massage table mm -hmm. for you, mm -hmm. that's when this other can begin to come online. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that for kids, too. Like, there's yeah. an inner Superman in all of us, and the world is the kryptonite we have to sort through. <laughs> we just listen yeah. long enough. It's, he's in there. Yeah. He or she. And it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm aware also that you teach a workshop specifically for after doing um, an ayahuasca ceremony. And since I'm a student of plant medicine myself, um, I was curious if you could touch on what that workshop involves. I'm also super curious how it relates to dreams since it's we're pretty much like kind of seems like we're dreaming the entire time just in a way different way yeah exactly well the reason i uh this is a workshop a, a day long that i did about three weeks ago mm -hmm. the reason i i did it is because i hear about a lot of journeys i'm a body worker i do rolfing mm -hmm. which is deeper than massage but still body work so in this state it's at times it's kind of like the priestly confessional i i, <laughs> I, I hear a lot of things um mm -hmm. but people will tell me about especially here in austin about journeys mm -hmm. they've had and ayahuasca be, be at, at the moment a very mm -hmm. common one. Mm -hmm. And so I hear people talk about their experiences, and I know two things. Either they've had a difficult, we'll quote, bad experience, mm -hmm. and they've not made use of it. They've not understood, understood why their unconscious was giving them a difficult journey. Mm. And so they write it off as a bad trip, or mm -hmm. I don't like that kind of medicine, or... Yeah, no integration. Whatever it was, yeah. And it remains a compartmentalized experience. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I notice is that people can have terribly blissful experiences, mm -hmm. and it not translate into how they're living their life day to day. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, integration is really about, I, I would prefer to say, a simulation. It's how to take these extraordinary experiences, let's say positive experiences, mm -hmm. and make and change your life with it. Yeah. yeah. The homework is hard. Oh, wow. Where to go there? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I see these experiences really in the same way that I see dreams is mm -hmm. in a journey experience through the medicine, you're softening your typical ego defenses. Mm -hmm. And as a result, a deeper wisdom intelligence can begin to communicate through imagery and impressions, right? Mm -hmm. The same thing happens in, in dreaming is essentially the ego defenses are taken offline and then consciousness has access to much more that's actually going on in the psyche. Mm. What are your thoughts on um, using plant medicines as that type of therapeutic tool to to explore these things that maybe we're already dreaming about we're just not focusing on in our dreams? Do you think do you think that if we were just able to use the things that we already are 
we have access to like our dreams if we're able to use them properly as therapeutic tools like we're discussing today would that make it so that we we don't even need to look for these external um, sources to really push us into that like ayahuasca or um, any of the other plant medicine experiences that do other things I'm not sure I got your question, but let me give you this answer and see if I did. Okay. I, I think most of us that do or have used medicines do so because it increases our capacity for feelingfulness. Mm. Because we live so rapidly mm. and we're so externalized and plugged into something outside of herself most mm-hmm. of our daytime. We're not oriented to the rich world of our senses and pleasure, just the pleasure of sunshine and wind and the mm-hmm. pleasure of breath. We're cut off really mm-hmm. from our erotic nature unless we have a highly sexual moment. But mm-hmm. yeah. for the most part, we're lacking feelingfulness, especially the darker feelings that we're often afraid to go into. Mm-hmm. So I think medicines enable us to feel things more deeply. And you can't run from it either. You're stuck mm-hmm. with that. This weekend is, I think, my 12th ceremony. And for me, in that one night, I feel like I've gone through about a year worth of therapy. Um, I go in with three different intentions. And I not only experience in a way that I'll never forget um, the theme of that intention and and what the medicine, the mother is trying to teach me, um, but the the thing for me that's different than dreams is like you actually get the answer in the journey instead of, you know, later on. But the integration, like you're saying, that's the hard part because it can, my whole theme can be motherhood and then the journey tell me let me, I will end up being my son throughout the entire journey. I'm him. I'm feeling all his feelings and I'm seeing why he wants so much attention at times and what it feels like when I'm too busy, how painful that is for him. And it's not a snap of the, it's not a snap of the fingers after the ceremony. I don't automatically just become this more present mother, but I'm at least conscious. Mm. I think more conscious of his feelings and more conscious of whether or not I am being as present as I'd like to be. So it's really hard to just instantly change into what the medicine is showing me I need to gravitate towards, but I'm at least conscious of what, where I'm at in it, I think. Um, Do you spend time in the days that follow mm-hmm. meditating on the journey and reaccessing it by going into those states, of course, in a more subtle way? I do, but um, I will say uh, I was more serious with it in the beginning. I think that because it's such a sacred medicine, there's no way you can ever take it lightly. You're never like, oh, okay, I'll go do this. And then when it's done, you just forget about it. It's such a sacred medicine. You still feel that nervousness like, oh, my God, should I really be doing this? And what if it's dark? I've had one dark ceremony. And since then, I'm like, what if it goes there again? Um, And then after... um, I usually write it out and journal it, and then I discuss it with a few people. That way it's more, um, uh, I guess, in my mind, you know, once you discuss something. Well, let me give you an example. Let's, Let's take the dream of the storm and the grandparents. Let's say that that happened in a journey. Mm hmm Yeah? Now, the question is, 
how could you actualize that in daily life? Hmm. Well, if I realize the the connection there of me feeling um, worried about not having that type of soulmate relationship or you know having abandonment issues, if I can realize yeah. that connection, then I can figure out how to integrate it, I suppose. And in meditation, let's say, I, I'm with you there, you could actually go back and remember the sweetness of that encounter. Mm -hmm. You could see the, the stability of their relationship. And you could breathe it in through a meditative breath and imagining it going to every cell of your body. And notice any place inside of you that lacked faith, mm. that maybe had become jaded or that was not holding that dream of possibility. And you breathe the essence of those grandparents right into those fearful places. The more we do, you do that day after day after the day, you create you, as we know now, mm -hmm. neuro circuits, right. right? That can become increasingly established and more part of your dominant personality. Yeah, but it takes repetition. It's the same with journeys. It's the same with dreams. It's one thing to have an interpretation, to mm -hmm. understand the meaning, but integration comes through repeated remembering, mm -hmm. practice, breathing in, you see. So embodying this or, vibration and this, this feeling until it becomes a muscle memory, essentially. Mm -hmm. Or habit. Yeah, or... There you go. Or with your son, mm -hmm. yeah, of the lion. What, for instance, a question to him would be, if you were going to be like a lion with your, he's, well, he's, he's only three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he may be a little young for this, but let me, let me say, the idea is to get him to practice being like a lion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more he, he practices, the more that's going to integrate into the personality. So yeah. here's my thing with with integration is people are leaving these these extraordinary experiences. They're leaving them with a shaman, and mm. they they spend very little time recalling or living in it. Mm -hmm. you, you see, and that's where things really change. Wow. Yeah, I am. Um... I want to tell a, a quick story about that. Um, this guy, my very first ceremony, and I'm glad it was my first ceremony because it made it stuck with me because of it. But he did, um, it was like his 40th ceremony. And he said that he went into his journey and Mother Ayahuasca showed him seven cards. And it was his last seven ceremonies when she turned him over. And she showed him the seven cards and then she slapped him in the face. And she said, don't come back here until you deal with these seven cards because he hadn't integrated any of them. Mm -hmm. And then his, literally his journey ended like that. And he didn't have anything else the rest of the night. And I'm glad I heard that story on my first ceremony because it stuck with me because I was like, I don't ever want to have that experience. I want to, you know, definitely integrate. But what um do you think when we are having those journeys, do you think that it's, what do you think is going on? Is it like our higher consciousness? Is it just our deepest desires showing their faces? Or like, what is, it, it feels like truth. Um, 
But so you're asking, what is it or who was it that spoke to him and told him that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Oh, man. Well, I can... I, I really don't, but I, I know in, in the psychology that I uh, use, which is Jungian psychology, Carl Jung's mm -hmm. psychology, it's understood that the self is very complex, but one essential piece of the self is called the ego self. It's mm -hmm. our identity, it's our ability, it's not necessarily bad. If we're egotistical and too full of ourself, we get into trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Or if we're terribly egoless and shameful and humiliated, then we don't have the power to do things. So, but a good, flexible ego can make decisions, can be disciplined, it can uh, concentrate on something and accomplish tasks, yeah. But this is not the only intelligence. There is mm -hmm. another intelligence that's much wiser and bigger. Sometimes that is spelled with a capital S for self, mm -hmm. whereas the ego self is spelled with a lowercase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that there is something much larger than the ego self that is orchestrating journey experiences and certainly dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems to know more than us, and it seems to have as its purpose to evolve us, to make us more adaptive to the ever-changing world that we live in. And mm -hmm. one of the ways that it does this is by bringing us into contact with potentials that we're unfamiliar with, like the lion, mm -hmm. you see. Or, <clears throat> and by doing... Or it may be um, by bringing us into contact, like this journey over the seven cards, with um, a side of herself that's not responsible. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it tells us the truth that's humbling to sober us. Yeah. And we want to externalize it because it's, it's hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I've just always wondered, like, is everything I'm receiving here completely true? Like I remember one time um, in a ceremony years ago or right before Trump won, I had a, a, a journey where he, he won. And I remember the next day after my ceremony saying, well, now I'm really doubting ayahuasca because there's no way this guy's going to win. And he, he did win a couple of weeks later and everything that was in the ceremony played out so true. And so then I was like, oh, wow. And um, there was one time where I went to a past life where I was a um, child sex slave. And then I saw in another ceremony, my partner was my ancestor on my mom's side, reincarnated as my partner. And um, basically the medicine was saying that all of our partners are basically our reincarnated ancestors. So whenever I get things like that, I'm always like, is this, do I accept this as true or is this like a metaphor? So that, I just was interested on your take on that. So thank you. And and I wanted to also maybe bring the the lion thing full circle because as you were talking about it, um, uh, as answering that last question, I remembered that last time I was in Austin, I was wearing this jacket um, oh, yeah. over to Jade's house, and it had a fur collar. You know, it was cold over there, mm -hmm. so I had this big fur collar and sole her. That's son, a great Jade's son. Yeah, uh, I I came in and he was like, 
he's very quiet and he's very like <laughs> he kind of like you know sits back and and observes and he's an observer yeah and later when i left jade texted me he goes soul is obsessed with your jacket he says it's a it's a lion's jacket you know and I, and he wants a jacket like that because he wants to be a lion and so isn't that Ooh. funny that we're having this whole conversation and yeah. all these little things tie together that's so I crazy that yeah. Yeah. brought a smile to my face that there's some <laughs> something there it's yeah so much lion out. talk yeah <laughs> all right so we have a question from the magic mob that's going to take us in a slightly li- different direction here from the dream world um Raquel on Instagram asks, what kind of role do you think a person's spirituality or religious beliefs can play in their own personal growth and healing or in their regression and stagnancy? Oh, boy. Yeah. It depends <laughs> upon ooh, the quality of religion. Well, I can use myself as an example. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I was a boy, my mother went into the Pentecostal church um, from a very um, buttoned-down um, conservative Baptist church. Mm. I was 13, and I was frightened by all that I would see go on. There was speaking in other tongues mm-hmm. and people dancing in the in the aisles, and um, who it was uh, it was frightening, but eventually I had one of those experiences at age thirteen, and it had a profound effect on me because it uh, required that I learn to let go, and uh, when I did in this ecstatic experience. Um, it ridded me of shyness for several months thereafter. But at the same time, in the years that followed, because it was fundamentalism and rigid, it also induced me the fear of the divine, mm-hmm. uh, a rigidity about sexuality, uh, a fear of trusting my own inner voice versus the Bible that someone else wrote. So religion was both good and bad and sad. It gave me great comfort in my early life to feel that there was something bigger than me Mm -hmm. that I could turn to and pray to. But at the same time, had I continued living in that childlike way, I would have never come to trust the inner voice inside. Mm. So I, I think religion is very mixed. You know, uh, like, like any great thing, we have to be very um, observant about the good and the bad in it. Mm-hmm. So let's see here. We have another mm-hmm. question here from the Magic Mob. It's a pick your poison. They're always a little difficult, these questions. Um Zero on Instagram says, would you rather live your entire life in a virtual reality where all your wishes are granted or in the real world? Me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to all answer. Yeah, you, <laughs> oh, you, we always, uh, we always have a the, pick your poison for every guest. Yeah. Okay. Give me the real world. I think it could be one of the uh, 
most seductive uh, poisons of effort to have everything you want mm-hmm. satisfied and given to you. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not a way to uh, to the, to develop and mature. Much yeah. of my experience of maturity is has come through grief and being humiliated and facing limitation and suffering mm-hmm. and um, learning what to do with desires that could not be lived. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah. I'm for this. I have the same answer yeah. as you, but I probably wouldn't have been able to say it as eloquently. <laughs> I agree as well, but I'm kind of worried. I don't know if it worry is the right word. I'm just interested to see where we're going with all the the virtual reality video mm-hmm. games and the direction mm-hmm. that we're um, creating these experiences. Um, you know, that take us maybe as an escape out of the real world, or maybe it's going to somehow integrate into our lives as well. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to be interesting. I'm sure. Um, so we like to end every show with, um, a few short questions. Uh, the first one is what advice would you give to your 25 year old self? Forgive yourself much sooner. Forgive yourself much sooner. I like that. When do you feel like you did? (laughs) When did I start forgiving myself sooner? (laughs) Boy, That was so gradual. I don't know how to say this. Mm. Well, the thing that leads us to forgiveness, I I think, is rec- is seeing how inexhaustible shame can be and mm. guilt, and that striving for for goodness, um, ooh, is that it's it's striving, and ultimately we have to accept, you know, both sides of our nature that we need to be forgiven and we forgive. And the sooner the better. I like that. All right. So if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh, I love that. Well, it would be one author. It would be Alice Miller. And Mm. actually, many years ago, after discovering this uh, Swiss writer, uh, psychologist, Alice Miller, she wrote For Your Own Good, the drama of the gifted child uh-huh. and about 10 others. She helped me understand and see the innocence of childhood like mm. no other mm. and helped me tell the truth about what I had suffered as a child and to feel the legitimate uh, pain and grief of it. And it was more grounding than anything I had ever read and uh, it affected me so deeply. I was already a psychologist at the time, but I had never found the depth of a sense of um, connection to the child as when I read her work. And um, I said, if I could have every person in the U.S. read this woman's work, I would be willing to die at any time. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So to me, I I love her. Yeah, her her writing uh, as much as anyone else. And I'll give you an example of this. 
Okay. She, yeah, she grew up during the uh, the Holocaust, and in trying to make sense of what happened, she investigated the life of Hitler, and she did it. She said, as a psychotherapist should, using empathy to answer the question, how could a child born innocent as anyone else become Hitler? Mm -hmm. And what she uncovered was um, Hitler's childhood and the forces that shaped him to become what he was. And one of the primary things she uncovered is how much he lacked what she called an enlightened witness, someone who could witness the abuse that he suffered, especially from his cruel father, mm. and help him realize that what was happening to him was not his fault. For in lacking that, he had to compartmentalize mm -hmm. and hate the parts of himself, especially his vulnerability. He was beaten a lot, but in reading this chapter, suddenly you, uh, you, can, uh, you realize that if you use empathy, you can understand everything, even, even the worst. And um, that's good news in understanding ourselves. Yeah, by making the case for the other side, it gives you some sort of... That's empathy. the next book I'm going to read, I think. I have it on my shelf right now. Oh, you do? Yeah. Pick it up, yeah. I'm excited. Um, thank you for sharing that, Lynn. That's a, a really good answer. Yeah. Um, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Mm. I heard a story about Thich Nhat Hanh, the great um, Vietnamese meditation teacher mm -hmm. who uh, had to leave Vietnam during the war. I heard that he... Um, did a pre presentation up at Omega years ago or somewhere in the Northeast and the room was filled with hundreds of people and he eventually came in, walks very slow, an elderly man now, and then he sat in front of the room and he simply looked at people and they looked at him waiting for his words of wisdom. And he evidently waited an excessively long time before he said anything. Mm. Just looking at people. And then he said, there is no need to rush. That's mm. mm. really <laughs> beautiful. I need to put that on my kitchen stove. <laughs> <laughs> I need that on my phone. Every time I, that's where I'm looking all the time. So where is the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you, Len, and where can they find you and your work? Yeah, my website, uh, lenworleyphd.com. And you have a workshop uh, this Saturday in Austin. Yeah. Um, uh, the first Saturday in January, the 5th, mm -hmm. called Listening mm -hmm. to Anxiety, Listening to Depression. And they can find that information on your site. Yeah, we're going to be looking at ways that anxiety and depression are 
evolutionary intelligences that come to help us, not as um, pathologists that are in need of being cured. Ah, I like that. Great. Change of perspective. That sounds on amazing. That. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the conversation. Oh, Len, yeah. thank you so much. This thank was you. really eye-opening. I know I need to do a lot of work, even on just the dream I talked to you about today, but generally yeah. on, I'm going to start using some of these tricks and tools you gave me today. So I appreciate you. Woo. That was good. I feel like that whole uh, interview was just a, a a box of magic tricks. <laughs> literally, literally, I'm writing them down as he's saying them. Like, okay, I got to implement this. I got to implement this. I know. but So I, much information. I, I feel like I'm going to have to listen to it, you know, during editing. And then once we post it, it's like, that's when that's, I'll finally absorb it all. I think that's the nicest thing about doing this podcast is that we have I know to we get to, to have it three times. times before, yeah, before I know. Posted, so we really are using this stuff. We're integrating as much yeah. as we can. Um, I know. Uh, well, except for how busy we are, but yeah, I know with doing the next one, getting ready for the next one, and doing it all over mm-hmm. again. But uh, when I was talking to him about that dream of my grandparents, I was like not prepared for how all the emotions of that dream, because like I said, yeah, I, I could was tell falling from that dream when it happened. You know, of course, um, to come to come back up and resurface, and then trying to work through it, it was like a full blown therapy session. So I cannot imagine like. At one of his seminars where you go through, you know, he, he has you go I through know. a lot of his dreams when he does these dream seminars. Um, you go through a, several of your dreams. You literally do therapies with it. You, you know, you journal with his guidance and all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think next time in Austin, I need to set that up, get some express Yes, yeah, so let's definitely done. look at, since we're having a live South by show, let's definitely look at what he may have going on then. Good idea. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Cool. We'll take you guys yeah. with us. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get into today's magic tricks. Yeah. What do you have, Mercedes? My magic trick is focused on contrast and the way contrast has been the theme of so much of my own personal growth in the most recent chapter, you know, this current chapter of my life. Specifically recognizing how and why to be grateful for the darkness in my life. Um, I don't know. I've just been noticing that it seems like us humans, we creatures of comfort, spend the better part of our lives trying to avoid conflict. We are always Mm -hmm. attempting to escape pain and hoping to live with as little stress as possible, like we talked about a lot in today's uh, Mm -hmm. interview. With these goals in mind, we... I know I tiptoe around major issues with my loved ones. We um, yeah. we use addictions to mask our feelings for sure, mm-hmm. whether that's even, you know, it can be anything from from shopping to uh, drugs and alcohol, of course. Um, yeah. Whatever your vice is. And we keep our standards low so that we don't have to feel let down after not reaching high, you know, after not reaching some higher goal that we might have set instead, if that makes sense. Um, So, yeah, contrast. Like, we train ourselves to be adverse to contrast because of the confrontational nature that comes with it. But the reality is that all of the beauty we ever experience only exists because of the contradictory ugliness that keeps us Mm -hmm. from taking it for granted. So I guess in short, without 
this whole yin and yang balance, our most blissful moments would be, you know, mundane at best. And yeah. our biggest accomplishments would pale without the challenge um, or the challenges we'd had to face in order to achieve them. So my like magic to pick your poison. Yeah, exactly. Like to pick your poison today. So today, instead of um, expending your energy trying to likely unsuccessfully remove the darkness from your life, my magic trick is to try noticing how you've been able to shine in spite of those darknesses. Notice where Mm. the discomfort and pain in your life has propelled you in a positive direction and maybe even attempt to be thankful for the places that this type of contrast has played a critical role in your life. I know this type of perspective swap has quickly and dangerously changed my life for the better. So I know you guys will have the same results if you attempt it. Yeah, I love that. I know that with me, whenever I have a big blowout with someone, mm-hmm. it typically causes us to take some, take some, you know, damaging thing out of the re- habit or whatever, out of the practice of the relationship, you know, yeah. so conflict can be really beneficial. Um, I love that. What's your magic? I was going to do one, but because of yours, another one came to mind. So I'm going to go with that. And it's, um, on the take out. I know. Let's see what happens. Um, (laughs) take out a piece of paper and on the left side, write down another list, write down, um, dark experiences that you've gone through, mm-hmm. you know, tough things throughout your life. And on the right side, write down how they made you stronger, mm. um, which is, it goes hand in hand with yours because it's contrast, right? Sure. So, um, you know, you can look at that list and think, it's man, proof. I'm, I'm freaking strong. Yeah. And what would I be without these dark experiences? Not that you enjoyed them, not that you would want to relive them, yeah. but they made you who you are. And it'll maybe putting this out on paper and looking at it will help you in your future situations that feel like they suck to think, well, what am I going to put on the right side of this paper? Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with that as my magic trick instead. I really like that. Um, Compounding. It wasn't rehearsed or anything and it just popped <laughs> in my head. So nothing I've done yet, but I'm going to do it. I love that. Um, so, yeah. You kind of did do that, though. I remember a story you told in a previous episode, I think, about an acupuncturist well, who made well, the you The acupuncturist, yeah. yeah. He didn't have me write anything down on the right side. He just had me write down, like, my life story chronologically. Yeah, to see how but, strong and powerful and the proof of what you'd gone through. I didn't know that that's what he was doing. Yeah, but but I want, yeah, I want y'all to write it down with the intention of on the right side. Yeah, writing down. there's always a positive that outweighs yeah. it, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed Lynn Worley. Uh, yes. It's like a dream wizard. I love I fa- it. I found it super interesting. Um, so, yeah, if you liked it, please share this episode with uh, your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And remember that if you have a question for any of our future guests, you can go to our Instagram page at The Magic Hour to ask any of our guests, find out who we're having on, or to ask us a question. We love you guys. Talk to you all next week. Until then, be a light. Thank you to Dr. Len Worley for being so awesome on today's show. I really feel like this was powerful and people will find a lot of value in it. 
And of course, thank you to at Raytone Royal for our intro jam and Adam at Red Fox Audio for producing the show and putting up with Jade and I and all our craziness. <laughs> we love you. Stay magical, friends. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys. You know. You know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, Please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves. This program is a Red Fox audio production.